Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Hi, and welcome to Sorceress, a podcast where I chat with authors and audiobook narrators about books and especially audiobooks in the urban fantasy category. If you dig wisecracking wizards, conflicted lycanthropes, antagonistic undead, and all those other things that go bump in the night and then get bumped back, you're in the right place. So make yourself comfortable, salt the doors and the windowsills, and join me, James Anderson Foster, as we get to know the creators of this fascinating genre. Okay, so tonight I'm joined by urban fiction and horror author Ambrose Ibsen. Once upon a time, a young Ambrose Ibsen discovered a collection of ghost stories on his father's bookshelf. He was never the same again. Apart from horror fiction, he enjoys good coffee, brewed strong. So, um, Ambrose, first of all, thank you so much uh, for, for joining me. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me and to all of my potential listeners since this just launched. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Ah, it's my pleasure. Um, so I uh, did a little bit of homework before you uh, showed up here, and you've got 20 audiobooks right now. And it looks like almost what, 32 uh, books in, in other formats over uh, on Amazon. Am I right? Uh, thereabouts, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So uh, my, my first question for you is when looking at the books that just landed on Audible, we've got uh, the, House of the House of Long Shadows, uh, which is like the newest one. It just came out. And that's House of Souls book one. And then not too far before that, there's In Absentia, which is Black Acres book one. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, holy crap, these are like two series book one that you just started. What's up with that? What are you doing, man? Well, you know, I guess I just uh, I like to start a lot of things and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just can't uh, I can't keep to one series. But uh, with that first uh, series, um, at least in ebook format, the, the House of Soul series. I actually have uh, two books available there so far, uh, and there is a third coming soon. I don't know, as, as yet, I'm not sure how long that series is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it'll, it'll be at least three books, maybe four. Uh, the Black Acres series, though, it's actually, uh, it's, it's not as uh, crazy as it sounds. It's, it's, it's only a four-part serial. So those are those are bite size. Each one of those audiobooks is maybe two hours. Okay. And uh, all all four parts are actually uh, published for that. Okay. So 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 if people pick up these audiobooks now and like them, they can rest assured that this this the uh, the sequels are coming relatively soon. Yes, hopefully hopefully within the next few months. So when you start a book, do you know already? whether it's going to be a series or does that just sort of come out of the writing process? Mm, you know, it kind of depends. Uh, sometimes I do know right, right out from the gate that I'd like to tell a longer story, something that I'm going to have to have, you know, more than one um, book for. But uh, other times I'll finish writing a book 
and uh, a sequel or sequels will just feel right, you know? So mm-hmm. it, it really, it really depends on where the story takes me uh, for that first, that, that initial book. And then, um, you know, uh, other times I, I kind of, uh, I, I write out of really lengthy outline ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll be able to say, okay, this is going to happen in the first book. And then I'm going to need a, a subsequent two or three books to flesh out the rest of it. Right, right. And, and that was actually one of my next questions was, are you an outliner or do you fly by the seat of your, pla- seat of your pants? Uh, well, I've actually, I've tried it both ways. Yeah. And uh, most of the time, I am a militant outliner. I have very, very detailed outlines. Some of them are, you know, 10 to 12,000 words long. They could, wow. you know, yeah, they're, they're a little too involved. <laughs> uh, I find that when I try it the other way, when I go by the seat of my pants, uh, I get really aimless and uh, I write a lot of stuff that ends up uh, getting cut at the end. Sure. So it's, um, I mean, I have a lot of respect for people who can produce that way and I've had limited success with it. I, I want to get better at it because, you know, every now and then when you do it that way, you end up with um, some really good spontaneous stuff. Like, you know, you, you really let your subconscious go to work on it, but I'm, I'm, I'm just not there. I still have to lean on the outline. Yeah. How much do you find yourself like just absolutely sticking to the outline from beginning to end versus like, you know, going off off script? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because uh, I almost never stick entirely to the outline. The outline gives me like a really good, I guess, uh, kind of a general idea of where the story's headed. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, it, it's like I write this super detailed outline and then... I give myself permission to basically, you know, veer far into left field with it. So I, I stick, I stick to it semi closely, but every now and then, you know, that subconscious will pop uh, some interesting idea into the mix and I just run right after it. So nice. uh, Yeah. There, there's some wiggle room. (laughs) So you're a full-time writer, (laughs) full-time author. Uh, Yes, that's right. Uh, Now, this, I mean, I, I, I know being a narrator, I know uh, a handful of authors, I guess. Um, and, and this is kind of the dream, right? You know, everybody that isn't a full-time writer, everybody that isn't supporting themselves wants to be uh, in a position where they can support themselves. And uh, in thinking about how you got here, I'm curious, what did you have to give up to to be this full-time writer? What did you have to sacrifice for this? Oh, that's a long story. Um, I mean, it absolutely is the dream. And it's something I've worked towards in one way or another since I was uh, pretty young. Um, But when I really got serious about my writing and I really decided I wanted this to be a career, um, I I think the biggest thing I I, uh, sacrificed was, you know, time with my family, with my wife and kids. Uh, because at the time I got really serious about my writing, I was uh, working a full-time job and usually a lot of overtime because it wasn't especially well-paying. And uh, that meant that in order for me to, you know, come up with story ideas, in order for me to actually write the books and edit them and everything, uh, you know, basically I had to spend a lot of late nights, you know, at uh, cafes or, you know, shut up in my uh, my, my room or something or at the kitchen table after everyone had gone to bed, 
uh, just just to get the work done, you know, just kind of in those margins. And so um, for, you know, the first uh, four or five years of my marriage, uh, you know, my family never really went on any kind of vacation or anything. And I mean, of course, a part of that is, you know, we were dirt broke, but um, I, I was also just trying to use every spare moment I could to to tell stories. So I'd say that was probably the biggest sacrifice. Yeah. And uh, has it has it paid off? Is 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 this is the dream what you thought it was going to be? Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I would say that uh, it, it's it's been extremely satisfying, and uh, I guess nothing ever turns out exactly the way you expect. Um, but I, you know, uh, two years into this uh, full time thing, I'm still enjoying it. Um, I certainly don't regret it, and I do have a lot more time with my family. Uh, I think the trouble is. Uh, you know, when I, uh, I guess prior to going full time, I really, really, really had to prioritize my writing time because, you know, if I didn't get it done, well, I was going to be stuck at work for the next 12 hours and then I had to sleep and everything. Now I find, you know, I guess without that pressure, I find I uh, have a tendency to goof off a little bit or <laughs> spend too much time with my, my family, you know, uh, uh-huh. You know, my, my wife will be like, oh, it would be really nice if we could just uh, go here, you know, or uh, my kids, oh, let's watch this movie. And I'll be like, sure, I don't have anything else going on. And then the work doesn't get done. So um, <laughs> I don't have anything else going on with two brand new series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the next dream, right? If if going full time was that that, you know, first big milestone, what's next? What What's the next thing you're hoping for? I'd say that the, uh, the, I guess the next level for me, um, it's pretty anticlimactic, but I'd really just like to be able to do this the rest of my life. I mean, I'm, that's kind of asking a lot, but, uh, I mean, if, if I can continue doing what I'm doing, uh, you know, maintain this, this level of independence, uh, just writing stories I enjoy, then that's, that's really it for me. Um, bestseller status or, you know, a a big traditional publishing deal or a movie deal, those things would be really cool. And I certainly, you know, would, uh, would, would pursue them if, if given the chance, but ultimately I think just being able to continue, you know, on the same path, uh, would, would be wonderful. And, you know, being able to see my kids grow up and everything, um, you know, I have a lot of, I, I mean, you know, friends and family, uh, you know, they, they don't have that opportunity because a lot of them are, you know, in school or at work full time. And, uh, you know, I see what that can do to a family. So really, I guess my biggest priority is just being able to do this and um, spend spend time with my loved ones. Nice. So you mentioned, uh, you know, a big publishing deal and a lot of your stuff is self-published. Yes. Um, now, what do you see, and you and I have talked about this briefly before, uh, you know, the idea of self-publishing versus traditional publisher and how much control you have in one versus the other. What do you see as the the pros and cons of these two paths? And um, if if somebody came along and offered you, like, how how lucrative would the deal have to be in order for you to, like, just give up all the control you're used to having now? Well, um, you know, the the pros and cons are... I mean, that's, that, that's probably a whole other podcast. I mean, you could, <laughs> um, with, with a traditional deal, um, I, I think, and maybe it's a little bit of a myth, but 
you you tend to be able to focus more on the writing and uh, you can let a publisher handle the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the self-publishing, uh, if you happen to be a control freak like I am, then you know you you get to do the entire thing. You get to hire your own editor, your own cover artist. You get to, you know, uh, I mean, from beginning to end, it's it's all you. And so I find that that really suits my personality. Um, but if a publisher were to come around with uh, the right deal, I mean, certainly I'd be open to that. And it, it wouldn't have to be like an extremely lucrative deal. I'm not waiting on like seven figures, but <laughs> I, I think that, uh, you know, if, if it were the kind of flexible deal where I could still self-publish whatever I wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like on the side, uh, as long as they didn't try to grab up rights to my other books or my future works, I would be open to that. And, you know, I mean, at least a, a, a modest advance. As I understand it, these days in traditional publishing, you know, especially for new writers or undiscovered writers, uh, the advances are, are getting small. And, uh, you know, that, that would certainly be a deal breaker for a lot of writers I know. Um, as long as it were a reasonable advance and the terms were good, I'd, I'd definitely consider it. But uh, I just, I, I really do enjoy the independence of self-publishing. Yeah. Now, and, you know, you're also obviously pursuing audiobooks, uh, you know, pretty, pretty strongly. Uh, and from what I understand, most publishers now, when they make you a deal, they, they want to buy up the audio rights. Too. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a lot more lucrative. Yeah. Yeah. So would you be, I mean, how would that feel? So now you're not only giving up control for, you know, book cover, editing, uh, promotion, um, but up until, you know, this theoretical point, you're also, you know, casting director and, you know, co-producer, you're, you're really involved in all these things. Could you give up that kind of control and just sit back and wait for these things to appear? I think that I could, but uh, I think it would also require some flexibility on their part. I know that some audio publishers or, or you, you know, when um, the audio rights get picked up, they will, you know, sometimes let you pick your own narrator, things like that. And uh, that's something I would really push for. Um, but, you know, beyond that, uh, again, I think that if the terms of the overall contract were good enough, um, if they crossed my palm with silver, I think I could probably <laughs> overlook, you know, my my uh my more controlling um aspects and and just just kind of you know just 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 let it go but yeah yeah, um especially when it comes to audiobooks i've heard of that and i've heard uh some publishers you know because audio is such an exciting new market uh some publishers just approach writers for audiobook rights just just audiobook rights oh yeah yeah absolutely I, i think that would be pretty interesting too i mean if any if anybody in the industry is listening I'm all ears. And and we hope they are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of, I'm, I'm going to stay on this, uh, you know, control freak note for just a, a minute longer. Um, what is, you know, being somebody that is both a control freak and an author. So, you know, you're, I assume, you know, to an extent hearing your books in your head as you write them, what's been the, the coolest, weirdest uh, aspect of hearing somebody else's voice doing these stories of yours, doing these books? I'd say it's, it's been, you know, the, the, uh, I mean, I mean, it's true that when, when you write a book, you have a certain voice, you have a certain cadence, you have, um, 
you know, it, it's all kind of a fully formed thing in your in, in in your head, and it's really hard to get any distance from it. So hearing other people read it, hearing other people put their own spin on it, it's actually really refreshing, and it, it it's kind of allowed me to, I guess, appreciate my stories in in, in a completely different way. Um, the, you know, there are times when you're writing, um, I, I, and I mean, especially with as many books as I've written, it, I, I I sometimes, uh, you know, I forget about certain uh, plot points in in previous books or certain mm-hmm. characters or situations. Uh, but when I go back to listen to the audio uh, and, and you know, it's being um, performed by, you know, uh, somebody who didn't have a hand in writing it, I, I, I really feel like I'm experiencing it, you know, for the first time, uh, which, you know, when, when you spend, uh, you know, weeks writing a book, uh, it, you, you get to feeling like you know it front, front and back. But, yeah, I, I think being able to um, experience it um, in in that whole new way is is probably probably the most valuable aspect. Nice. So your books are pretty solidly in you know the the horror and urban fantasy and supernatural genres. Has this has this always been an interest of yours, or did you just sort of stumble upon it? Uh, yes, uh, from from. Uh, uh, really, the time I learned to read, I, uh, I've always been interested in uh, scary stuff, mostly. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, too, uh, growing up in the 90s, um, a lot of the cartoons that were popular at that time kind of borrowed heavily from, you know, uh, different um, mythologies and such. And um, I, I know that, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I was really into uh, uh, anime, like like. Uh, uh, Japanese cartoons, and a lot of them borrow very liberally from you know all, all kinds of different traditions, and so the supernatural aspects of those shows, I think, were, um, I, I, I think that they they really left an impression. Nice. So, were you a weird kid? Yes, uh, I was not. Uh, you know, <laughs> when when I was in uh, elementary school, I was not well liked by my peers. I uh, I talked too much. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I always had, I, I guess my, my interests were always like diametrically opposed to those of, you know, wh- whoever I uh, grew up around. So I, I didn't really have, uh, an outlet for a lot of my interests, say in things like this, you know, the supernatural, mm-hmm. most kids were interested in sports. Me, I liked watching, you know, ghost shows on TV. So, uh, I think that the writing probably, uh, helped me, you know, find an outlet for all of that. Um, as I got older, um, I was still a weird kid, but I think I learned to rein it in a little. So, um, yeah, but I, I, I was definitely a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> so now that you're an adult and a, a professional in this, uh, in this genre, um, are you still weird? And if so, are you publicly weird or do you try to hide it? Um, you know, I prefer the word eccentric. No, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, well, I like to think I'm, I'm a pretty normal guy. Um, I don't, I, I my interests remain more or less unchanged, but, uh, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily, um, I don't know that I do anything, you know, weird, um, uh, at least outwardly. Um, I've seen some of those shirts. Well, okay. You know, I do, I do have an affinity for Hawaiian print. Um, I'm a big fan of Halloween. So, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who, uh, 
you know, I'll drag my whole family out to uh, the grocery store or something just to see if they have their Halloween displays out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but ultimately, no, I'm 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 a at least on the surface, I'm I'm a pretty uh, normal guy. Under the surface, you know, completely different animal. Just just uh, an enigma. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when when you're writing these books. They're all one of the, one of the things I've noticed about uh, especially your horror is, uh, you know, a lot of it is now um, oh, it's a good term like like place based. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's um, and I was wondering um, how how much or like what percentage you find yourself pulling from history and and folklore uh, versus just sort of having to, to create something on your own. You know what I mean? Um, well, I don't know. That's, that's a tough one to answer. Um, usually, you know, when I'm coming up with these settings, uh, it's less pulling from folklore and history. I mean, I, I might do that when I'm pulling, you know, when I'm creating characters or, uh, antagonists, when it comes to the settings themselves, I try and draw off of uh, my own personal experiences, you know, places I've been. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, I've never been anywhere as horrifying as the settings in my books. But, you know, I try and think back to childhood. I try and think back to, you know, perhaps uh, dark or derelict places I've been just over the years. And I try and really tease out the, I guess, the sinister aspects. Because for me, uh, tension and atmosphere in a story is everything. And um, I know that a lot of writers will disagree, but for me, you know, the setting, um, maintaining a, a very taut atmosphere is more important to me in many respects than the characters. And if possible, I really like to bring, well, I, I, I guess I almost like to uh, frame the setting as a character in, a, you know, all, all, all its own. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, usually those those just come from, you know, oh, I'll remember one of my childhood homes or, you know, some, uh, abandoned field somewhere full of, you know, who knows what. That makes sense. So I, in a way, and I'm, I'm thinking back to, um, well, you know, your, your several haunted house books Yeah, that, uh, you know, the main character is the house. Right. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I, if for people that haven't listened, I, I don't want to give, give away any spoilers or anything, but, you know, specifically, uh, you know, house, house on the hill, right. That we, no, no. What did, what, what was the one we did? Uh, the oh, horror um, one, uh, the winter house, house. by the sea, house yep. by the sea. Yeah. And you know, there, there was a, a sinister presence, the jackal man, yeah. but, but man, it was the house mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that was the, the main character. And I feel like too often, especially, I mean, I guess whether you're looking at fiction or, or films, uh, too often people like to focus on, you know, the baddies. They like to focus on the monsters themselves. And I mean, I, I like a good bit of that myself, but there are so many opportunities uh, for ratcheting up tension and horror in the setting itself, you know, just wondering what could lurk around a corner, you know, wondering what it is that's casting that shadow and, you know, for me, that's, that's where horror lives. So that's, that's what I've always liked to focus on. Nice. Now, do you prefer horror to uh, urban fantasy? I do. Um, I actually, I dove into urban fantasy kind of as an experiment because 
certainly it incorporates a lot of the elements I, I enjoy in horror. Uh, but it, um, you know, it, it just, it, I guess the opportunities for action, uh, were what really drew me in there. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so would you, if with somebody that, that writes as prolifically as you do, and you know, you've got the, the multiple series that you're starting up, have you ever had just a, 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 you know, what you thought was a fantastic idea for a book that you couldn't figure out how to get started or, or didn't know, you know, where it would fit in. And so it just sort of bounced around for a while and never really went anywhere. Um, yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, certainly before I got, um, started with, with writing professionally, uh, that was almost every idea I had. I, I'd, uh, you know, I'd wake up one morning, dream up an idea for a story and think, well, this is going to be really good. And then I would, you know, hesitate to start it because I couldn't think of a good place to, I guess, to break that ground. Mm -hmm. And I, at least for me, and I've, I've heard it said, um, by other authors too, you know, ideas like that, you know, they, they can die on the vine if, if you don't act on them, uh, quickly enough. And that, that's often the case with me. If I, if I, uh, let a story, if, if I let a story kind of, uh, you know, simmer a little too long, it, it just ruins the whole thing. And I find I have no motivation to write it after a while. So more often than not, when those feelings do turn up, I just kind of force myself to start it. And I, I think, okay, you know, if it isn't good, I can throw it away. But better to try and get it off the ground than to just, you know, just just leave it uh, beached. Sure. What what do you think uh, the ratio is to throw away versus no, this turned into something you know, decent and worth pursuing? Uh, these days, you know, I'd say that there aren't very many throwaways. I have a, I have, I have a lot of story ideas that I kind of write down and then forget to kind of stave off that, um, that, that, that mental rot. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, usually, usually I just, I force, you know, because I'm paying the bills, I, I have to produce, so I, I find myself, um, you know, trying, trying not to throw away any story ideas. I'll trim the, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll trim it back to what works and then build off of that. But ultimately I try, I try not to, you know, uh, abandon story ideas anymore. Um, my, my process usually looks like, you know, on day one, maybe I just uh, come up with what I think is an interesting story idea. Day two, I try and get some notes done on paper. Uh, day three, I really hunker down and do some uh, solid outlining, perhaps into into a day four, and then by day five, um, you know, provided uh, my schedule is clear, I just sit down and start writing. But yeah, um, I mean, and that's if life doesn't get in the way. Sure, but because uh, that that never happens. Oh no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but I, I I really try these days. Uh, not to just abandon a story idea because, um, you know, if, if you get into the habit of doing that as a writer, I think you run the risk of just never completing anything. And I'll tell you, uh, there have been times in the past where I've considered uh, ditching a story only to have it grow into something totally unexpected, you know, and, and something that in the end actually works. So I, I just tell myself to trust the process. Nice. So. As an author, do you read a lot? I read as much as I can get away with, mm -hmm. but um, not nearly enough. I, I try and uh, 
like, you know, I, usually on New Year's every year, I try and set some kind of lofty goal for reading for the year. And uh, I always under deliver. But, uh, you know, you know, maybe a, a couple books a month, two, three books a month if I can. Yeah. Do you have a favorite author? Oh, boy. Uh, maybe a couple. Yeah, I've got a couple at least. Um, H.P. Lovecraft is probably probably my my favorite of all time. I discovered him oh about 10 years ago and uh, really got into his work. Uh, there's a Japanese novelist named uh, Koji Suzuki, who I'm a really big fan of. And he, uh, he, well, he's written quite a lot over the years, but his most famous work is uh, Ringu, which is um, uh, the, the, oh, the, the Ringu. Yes. Yes. And, uh, the, you know, the book itself is actually, it's less scary and it's more of a thriller, but it was just, you know, people like to say, oh, this book was unputdownable. Well, it, it, it actually, you know, in, in this particular case, it really was. Um, I, I mean, I, I could probably go on on that front, but I mean, really, um, I'd say those two are probably my biggest favorite movie. Oh, I'll sound like a broken record. Uh, the ring is definitely up there. Yeah. Um, other, other ones, uh, you know, there's, um, again, I'm just, uh, I, I, I think a reason that uh, most of my favorites in, in a lot of these things are uh, Japanese is because I, I grew up, um, you know, watching a lot of Japanese cartoons and kind of, uh, you know, I, I became very interested in Japanese film and music as a high schooler. Uh, but there's actually a Japanese director by the name of uh, Takashi Miike, who he's directed like over 100 films. Uh, but his most famous is, uh, well, at least one of his most famous is Ichi the Killer. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Mm, no. Uh, it's really, really brutal. It's a Yakuza film, uh, but it's kind of, it has some slightly absurd elements to it. I really love his work. Nice. Um, do you prefer uh, reading or listening to an audiobook? Truthfully, I prefer reading, but uh, audiobooks... Uh, uh, as a listener and uh, I'm done uh, with you. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, it, I actually listened to my first audiobook probably, you know, about two years ago when I first started, uh, producing them. Um, and I, I, I do, I, I do enjoy audiobooks a great deal. I listen, I listen to them while grocery shopping or driving or, uh, what have you. And often, you know, I'll do that thing where I'll be listening. I'll be really into a story and I'll, you know, miss my exit or something. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, ver various stories and audio have almost caused, you know, terrible accidents on my part, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I think, I think ultimately I'm, I'm more into reading. Why is that? Is it, um, so for example, and I, I hesitate to admit this, but I myself am, am fond of reading, even though audiobooks is, is my industry. Mm -hmm. Um. And I find for me, it's, it's almost a nostalgic thing, you know, because I, growing up, I, I grew up in the eighties and so uh, audiobooks weren't a thing. Um, but you know, the, the paperback, just the, the feel of the paper, the, the being able to carry the book, you know, all of those things, um, just sort of come together and, you know, I, I, I miss it. Uh, in ebooks, and I kind of miss it in audiobooks too. It, you know, so for me, it's just a a tactile, nostalgic thing. Is it the same for you, or is it no? You just prefer the reading. 
Um, no, I would say it is the same for me. There's a familiarity, there's an intimacy with print that you you can't um, replicate with with these other mediums. Mm-hmm. And that isn't to say that you know there isn't merit to the other mediums, but definitely there's just something of you know when when you sit down with a physical book somewhere. Oftentimes, especially if you're enjoying the story, or I guess if you're not enjoying it, you can often look back and remember where you were when you read it. You can you, you can kind of piece together the whole scene. Mm-hmm. So aesthetically, for me, I think you know reading print is really it, it's 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 there's just something about it that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah, you know that that's a really interesting point too because when uh, I, I know that statistically, when people are listening to audiobooks and it's true for me as well, you're also doing something else. Yeah. Washing the dishes, driving, uh, working out at the gym, whatever. But when you're right. reading a, a print book, that's all you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't do that and wash the dishes at the same time. I mean, maybe you can. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah, you, it, a, book, a book demands your attention. Yeah. Nice. So as somebody who makes their living with words, what's your favorite curse word? Oh, boy. Oh, boy, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, and, and we have an explicit rating on, on iTunes, so feel free. Oh, to- that's good. Um, that's a toughie. I mean, uh, as, 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 I, as I like to call them, sentence enhancers, right? Um, I don't know. I suppose I'm, I'm partial to shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, well, actually, I, I, I don't use this a lot in my writing, um, and I'm not sure that it's necessarily salty enough to, you know, qualify as a curse word. But I find uh, in my day to day life, I exclaim uh, "piss" a whole lot. You know, I'll be <laughs> um, I'll be cooking and I'll burn myself in the kitchen. I'll say, "Oh, piss!" You know, uh, so the, p- perhaps piss, but uh, otherwise, um, otherwise, shit. Yeah. Huh. So you, you you default to the classics. The uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you do you cook a lot? By the way, I do. Uh, I I enjoy cooking. Um, I I shouldn't say I cook a lot. I I cook a fair bit. Okay. And I'm reasonably good at it, but uh, usually uh, my my wife handles the meals. Okay. When you do cook, um, and this is kind of off the cuff, just based on my own experience, do you? Is it a time where you can sort of clear your mind and just focus on assembling the the ingredients? Or is it a time where you're kind of in the kitchen by yourself doing your thing and kind of bouncing around and and marinating ideas? It's funny you it's funny you bring this up. It's it's absolutely the latter for me. And I was actually talking to my wife about this. Um n- not that I do them often enough, but you know, th- uh tedious chores like dishes, laundry. Um, one of my, I, I had kind of this, uh, love hate relationship. The, the place we're living now, we have a, we have our own washer and dryer, which feels extremely luxurious, but at our last apartment, we, uh, did not. And so I had to often, uh, cart laundry all the way to a, a late night laundromat. And there was something so peaceful so i i guess just just so gratifying about being able to sit there in this almost empty you know uh laundromat at 2 a.m uh just waiting for the clothes to finish you know loading unloading the laundry and being able to kind of mull over you know 
I, I suppose I could sit there and philosophize or, you know, work, work through, um, you know, what, whatever problems I was facing in my latest manuscript. And, uh, I mean, same with cooking or going for walks. I find that that kind of, um, re- you know, simple, tedious activity really allows me to work through any problems I might have creatively. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually, you know, uh, n- not that I enjoy doing the dishes, I, you know, don't let my wife hear this podcast because she will, <laughs> she'll cash in on that. But I, you know, there's just something about it, um, that, uh, that, that, that really helps me kind of, you know, cause I'll, I'll, I'll finish a load of dishes and suddenly, oh, well, that's how I should end this chapter. You know, it's just, it's really spooky how it happens, but that, that's how it often happens. Nice. Speaking of podcasts, you you just recently did a uh, a podcast interview with uh, Paul Stokes, yeah, a friend of mine. Um, love the guy to death, but I want this one to be better than his. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Paul. Um, what's something that uh, you absolutely did not say during Paul's podcast that you could share with listeners of this one? Oh, that's a good one, man. I don't know. I mean. You know, he feels like a brother to me, you know, that, that, uh, <laughs> no, um, uh, didn't really talk much about, um, well, you know, r- really, we didn't really talk much at all about urban fantasy, um, or, you know, like, uh, television didn't, didn't really talk about, uh, you know, I guess my, my interest in, uh, in TV shows or anything like that. Okay. So tell me about your interest in TV shows. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, the last series that I remember really, really enjoying, uh, was the strain. Oh yeah. 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 And, uh, I adored the first two seasons of that. I don't know that it necessarily qualifies as straight up urban fantasy. I I think it, it probably does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd say so. Um, do you read the books or listen to the audiobooks for that? I haven't. I've been meaning to, they're definitely on my list. That's, um, Guillermo del Toro, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So I I read the first book, and then jumped to the audiobooks um, for the rest of the series, and I I loved the TV series. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. They, they they deviated, uh, you know, significantly from the books. Not they deviated enough from the books that it was interesting watching. Right. Uh, one of the things I found the most interesting, though. Uh, between uh, like the the parallel between the books and the TV series was that each of them managed to keep Zach uh, or (laughs) the kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. They managed to make him completely unrelatable, like, like loathe worthy. I I hated him in both. So (laughs) he, he, he was a real shit. Yeah, (laughs) he he really was. There was just nothing good about that kid. Um, What else? Supernatural. I mean, that's been going on for what, a billion years now? Well, it, actually, I, I really enjoyed probably the first five or six seasons of that. And, you know, after that, I, I kind of got bored with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I should probably try and revisit it. Um, but the first several seasons of that, I, I just I, I loved because uh, for me, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, the, the Monster of the Week format that they had going for a while there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the longer arcs that they've done since, while still interesting, um, you know, like they, uh, I don't know, I, they, they kind of suffered from, um, like this, uh, you know, they, they, they just keep upping the ante every season and it just, just to the point where it got silly for me. Mm-hmm. But, 
Yeah, no, Supernatural's a it's 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 a pretty good show. Um, there was a show on Netflix I watched recently, which was uh, I believe it was British. I think it was a Netflix BBC collaboration or something uh, called Requiem. Yeah, and it was a six part series. It was pretty haunting. Nice. Were you a Buffy fan? Uh, no, no, that was a little before my time. Oh my God, you're making me feel old. Are you going to watch the <laughs> reboot? Uh, I, I might. I, I, I didn't know there was a reboot. Oh my God, yeah. In fact, they're, they're bringing Joss Whedon back for it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, nobody else, but just... Oh. Huh. Cool. Um, so, what, what questions do you wish people would ask you? Hmm. Oh, well, you know, I, uh, that, that, that's a hard question for me to answer, silly as it sounds, because, um, or do you I, just want people to leave you alone? Well, it's, it's a little bit more of that. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I'll, I'll tell you a, a perfect uh, example. I was at the grocery store yesterday and I saw a former coworker of mine. This happens every now and then around town. And they asked me, Oh, so, uh, you know, you, do you still work? Uh, I, I used to work at a hospital. And they say, well, you still work at the hospital? And I say, well, no. Oh, so wh- where are you working now? And I, I find I really, I, I don't like to talk about it just on the spot. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of, uh, you know, well, I'm staying at home, you know, with my kids these days or whatever. So everybody thinks, you know, you're like a lottery winner and you just don't want to tell them. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, when, when people ask you, oh, so what do you do? And you tell them, oh, I'm a novelist. They, um, you know, the conversation tends to get like, it, it goes from zero to 60. Like they'll ask you, oh, so what do you write? What's your pen name? Uh, how much money do you make? And it's like, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. I, um, it, it, you know, even before I went full time, people at my old job knew that I was a writer and they would ask all kinds of really prying questions. I went through a phase uh, not proud of it anymore, but I went through a phase where I, uh, I tried my hand at writing like really steamy erotica mm-hmm. and I did okay at it. Uh, my heart wasn't really in it. So I eventually quit. Um, but you know, when word of that kind of thing kind of spreads, oh, people really want to know, you know, because they, they, they want to see what kind of debauched stuff you're, you're publishing. Sure. And, uh, it just, I, I, I think ever since then I've just kind of cooled on discussing it with people. So um, one thing that I do enjoy, uh, which has been happening more and more, uh, I like it when, uh, you know, like, a, uh, I guess a new author asks me for advice mostly because I'm just flattered. They think I know anything. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I've had a couple people, you know, approach me and ask, Hey, you know, so how did you get started with writing or, you know, what do you think I should do with this? And you know, I'll, I'll give my two cents. Um, and that's about all it's worth, but it's, um, you know, that, that's, that, that's, I guess that really makes you feel like you've made it in some sense, mm-hmm. but beyond that, yeah, I, I just like to keep things low key. So what is your two cents? What, uh, you know, what, what's your advice to new, new authors starting out, new authors listening to this maybe and thinking, man, I can't wait until I can do this full time. Oh man. Um, when it comes to, okay, well, you know, I guess becoming a, a competent writer and becoming a full-time writer, unfortunately, are two different things because I know a lot of people out there are very talented and, you know, that the kind of full-time success uh, sort of eludes them. And a lot of that is down to luck. 
Um, but when it, I, I, I guess the reasonable, the, the responsible advice to give somebody who's writing and wants to go full time is to, you know, sock away a lot of money, um, do your best to grow your readership and maybe if possible, you know, form some kind of uh, personal relationship with, with a lot of your readers, um, you know, network, make connections with, with other writers and content producers, um, and just have a good time with it. But, um, I didn't do much of that before setting off. I'm kind of an anomaly and, uh, I'm terrible with money. So I, uh, I did not, you know, do my financial due diligence before ditching my day job. It's just knock on wood. It's worked, you know, it's worked out so far. On the other hand, uh, for somebody who's just getting started with writing and really wants to be serious with it, I would give the same advice I was given, you know, as a child, which is virtually just to read very widely, read within your genre, read outside of it, uh, read everything you can get your hands on, uh, experiment with, you know, forming your own voice. Oftentimes a new writer will start by emulating someone else's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that that's okay. But over time, you know, writing is like a muscle and which is, I guess, a generic way to put it, but it's like a muscle. The more you work it, uh, the stronger it gets, the more reliable it gets, uh, the faster you can use it and the more your own personal voice will begin to develop. So, uh, you know, if possible, write daily or at least as often as you can, um, and, and read a lot. So have you found your voice? Do you think? Oh, again, with the hard questions. Um, I mean, I, I like to think so. And, um, it's kind of telling when, uh, you know, strangers will be like, oh, yeah, this reads like an Ambrose Ibsen book. Now, whether they're being mean spirited about it, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you yeah, know, I've had people, uh, you know, listen to, um, I, I think, uh, Joe Hempel, actually, uh, sometime back, he was recording uh, audio. He did like this Facebook video where he was recording one of my books in the booth. And he just like live streamed a video so people could see his process. And someone commented, you know, that sounds like an Ambrose Ibsen book. And I'm thinking, well, thanks. <laughs> um, well, hopefully he I, was doing a good job. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, he, he, he always does. Uh, I think, you know, from book to book, my voice will change a little bit and I'm still, I'm still trying to refine things or at least when it comes to craft, I'm always looking to try and, you know, improve over the last one. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think I've kind of settled into a groove and I, you know, creatively, I, I feel like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so who's, whose voice or voices do you think you were emulating when you started out? Uh, definitely Lovecraft. Um, my earliest stuff uh, was so purple, it hurt. And like, <laughs> it was just, it was terrible. I mean, really. And, and, and you know, people will knock Lovecraft for not having... Um, you know, much of a story. Like he's great with atmosphere. He's great with, you know, uh, description. He's not so great when it comes to, you know, putting together a coherent story sure. or at least an interesting story. Things were believable. Things were tense. There were tentacles. Everybody goes insane. Exactly. Yeah. And so I kind of did a lot of that. Um, further, uh, when I was in college, I read a lot of Haruki Murakami mm-hmm. and uh, he has, you know, uh, he, he's a great writer and I'm sure he's going to win the Nobel one of these days. And he has kind of this easy breezy, uh, I don't know if you've ever read anything of his, um, but he has this kind of easy breezy, um, very rhythmic prose that, you know, it, it, it's, it's a great pleasure to read. 
And so I kind of wanted to emulate that. Um, and I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that I've hit the mark, but, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say those, those two probably, um, there's another, yet another Japanese writer, uh, by the name of Yukio Mishima, uh, I'm a huge fan of, and, uh, he, you know, he's kind of on the other end of the spectrum. He has like this really, I'd say, you know, sharp, muscular prose. And I kind of experimented with that for a little bit, but I, I just don't think I'm the caliber of writer who can, you know, pull like a Hemingway. I, I, I just, uh, I, I need more words than that. So, uh, but I, I have done some experimenting over the years, definitely. Nice. So I, I know, and it, it you'd mentioned before, you know, when, when people stop you, old coworkers and ask what you're doing, you kind of, oh, you know, I'm, I'm staying at home. And I, I know, like for the longest time on Facebook, mm-hmm. nobody knew what you looked like. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and Ambrose Ibsen is, a, if I'm not mistaken, not your actual name, it's your author name. Yep, that is correct. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I get the, um, the desire to protect your identity, but I'm, I'm wondering like what, what's in, not, not what's involved in that, like, you know, what hoops do you have to jump through to keep your identity secret, Batman? But, um, <laughs> like what's the impetus for that? Do you think this, I mean, because at this point, you know, um, you know, you're not working a day job and writing on the side and kind of worried that people might find out because you may or may not succeed, right? You've got mm-hmm. 30 plus books out. You're, you're, you know, fairly reliably doing this full time. This is your gig. Um, and, and I get that Ambrose Ibsen is now the brand, but are, are you, is like, is the you hiding in there somewhere? Are you, you know, what's, what, what goes on when you have this, this alter ego, um, and then the real you that, you know, like family and friends get to see? Well, that's, uh, certainly that's, that's a pretty complicated, uh, affair. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, you know, I, I adopted the pen name because I'm not, I, uh, this will sound very arrogant. Um, I suppose it is very arrogant. I've always kind of prided myself on being that guy who's good at writing and, you know, growing up, uh, coworkers or, you know, who did discover previous work or, you know, people in school, teachers, you know, they, they always overinflate your ego. You know, they always tell you how great you are at writing. Uh, but when I finally, like, how, how, how can I put this? I, um, there, there was never really like a great fear that I was going to fail at this because I'm a stubborn son of a bitch. And I wasn't like, I I wasn't going to give up, but I guess my fear came more from like, uh, perhaps it was, it was, it's paranoia, but I was fearful that uh, someone might try and sabotage it. Right. Mm -hmm. That if somebody knew what I was writing and didn't approve of it, or, you know, perhaps, uh, if, you know, I had some spat with a coworker or some family member, they would be, um, you know, uh, inclined to leave nasty reviews or what, what have you. And I think that was kind of the biggest reason I did it. I just kind of wanted to keep it out of the open until it had actually grown into something. Um, it, like I told you when I was a kid, I talked too much and I was, um, you know, I've always been the kind of guy who's, who's eager to share what he makes. So I guess on the one hand, um, keeping my true identity a secret, uh, was a little bit difficult for me early on. 
now, you know, there are people I used to work with who, who know, and, uh, my family, they all know, so, you know, some have read or listened to my books. Uh, my, my dad actually has uh, recently started listening to audiobooks uh, because, you know, I, I've been putting them out and, um, but, but I think that the impetus behind it was more like a fear that, you know, maybe some meddling person would derail it all before I got a chance to get off the ground. Uh, I, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I'm wanted by the mob or something like that, but you know, are, are you wanted by the mob? Well, that's, that's another podcast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but it was, it was that kind of fear really. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's where it comes from that. And it's just, it's kind of exciting to, to, uh, you know, I, I guess assume a different name. I, I wouldn't say that, my Ambrose Sibson persona is especially different from, you know, who I am as a person. I, um, uh, certainly on social media, maybe. Um, and I think this goes for anybody who uses social media. Well, we tend to only broadcast the best or the worst, uh, you know, of what happens in our lives. And so, uh, as Ambrose Ibsen, perhaps it, it would, you know, I, I, I tend to post things that are on brand. Right. Sure. But ultimately, I mean, it's all genuine. Um, and it's all, you know, I, I, I try, uh, I, I guess the only thing that's really different is, is the name. And, uh, it, I mean, Ambrose Sibson, I think has a pretty good ring to it. My, my given name, uh, it's a fine name, but I, I, I don't think it's got quite the, the, the lyricism to it. Mm-hmm. And it is. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I had to try. <laughs> all right. I, I won't make you reveal that you're Bruce Wayne. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what do you have coming out? What are you? What projects are you working on now? What uh, What can we expect from you in print and audio uh, coming down the pipe? Well, um, in audio, Joe Hempel is uh, working on a whole smorgasbord of different books, uh, which will fill out those two series. Um, and I believe you're working on the third demon-hearted book in my uh, urban fantasy series. I am indeed. Yeah, well, that that'll, that will be exciting. And I'm currently writing two or three different books. Um, there's one that is kind of a it's kind of a supernatural thriller, uh, a little bit different from anything I've done before. Mm-hmm. There is a oh, let's see. Well, there's there's a third book in the House of Souls series, which I'm also working on. And then I think the next book that'll drop is actually something uh, completely different to anything I've written before. It's kind of a creature feature, like a jungle adventure type book called The Relic. Okay. And uh, there'll be a giant prehistoric crocodile in it. Nice. Yeah. So that'll be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for taking time uh, to chat with me. I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I know you've got a a ton of stuff that you should be working on. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really all I've got. I, I appreciate this so much. Um, thank you for being on. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me and I'd be happy to come on back. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, have a good evening. Thanks. You too. And as always, a very special shout out to our Patreon patrons. There's C. Stephen Manley, Colleen O'Malley Jackson, Mike Johnson, Audiobooks After Dark, Zachary McElroy, and Dogan Foster. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to lend your support and get your name mentioned at the end of an episode like this, 
All you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash sorceress and sign up to support us at the wisecracking wizarding level or higher. Thank you so much. And that's it for this time. Thanks for dropping by. We really hope you enjoyed it and will come back and see us again. You can find Sorceress on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website, Sorceress. That's S-O-R-C-E-R-O dot U-S. And you can find me at jamesnarrates.com, where you'll find a list of audiobooks, demos, and all the usual stuff. If you're enjoying Sorceress, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you're really enjoying it, it'd be mighty kind of you to drop a buck or two in the kitty. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com forward slash sorceress, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash James Narrates. Any support, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated, and it'll help us keep on keeping on. So until next time, when things go bump in the night, remember to bump back. Hello, is anybody here?